today. Thanks for joining us here at CCC. My name is John Miklas. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're a first-time guest, we're honored that you've chosen to spend some of your Sunday morning with us. If you're a regular attender, it's great to have you here with us as well. We are in the process this summer of preparing for something that's going to take place this fall. We're going to be adding another worship service. And uh, part of that process is uh, the need for adding additional volunteers to serve here at CCC. And so you haven't been here with us. Each week we've been highlighting different areas of ministry, giving you a little bit more of an of a inside look at what involves those areas of ministry. And so I've asked Damien, who's our interim worship director, to tell us a little bit about some opportunities that you might not be aware of to serve as part of our worship team. Damien? All right, thanks, John. Uh, well, first of all, I just have to say it's been a, just a, such a privilege to be a part of this worship ministry and this team. And uh, as you look up here every week, you, you see the musicians and the singers uh, but you're only really seeing part of our team uh, because another part of our team is tucked away behind the wall back there working on sound and projection and lighting. And without them, we just wouldn't be able to do this on a Sunday morning. So um, there is a need for um, us to add some, some people in the fall uh, for those ministries. And those ministries would be uh, lighting, sound and projection. So if you enjoy the way that the lights kind of make the stage look nice and if you appreciate the fact that when you go to sing some words you see them up on the screen and uh, if you like the mix of sound, uh, this might be an area that, could, that you could serve in. So I so wanted to highlight a couple of things. So for sound team, if you're interested in mixing, uh, if you've had some experience uh, maybe with maybe you're a musician and you, you've mixed for a band before or, or in another church setting, uh, that may be an area for you to consider. And also for lighting and uh, for projection, uh, no um, experience required. Uh, we would be willing to train you, and um, we really need people to help this this go on a Sunday morning. And uh, we just ask that you would consider one of those areas. Thank you, Damien. We often say that those individuals, uh, they have a lot of power because they control whether you hear me or not. They control the lights just like that. You know, they control the words. Either give me, there you go, my voice all made up. Thanks, Damien. So they actually do have more power than we like to admit back there. They know it. They just keep it under wraps. But a uh, great opportunity to serve behind the scenes. Uh, if that's where God has wired you, not to be in front, but behind the scenes and use some technical skills, some artistic uh, abilities, uh, it's a great way to serve back there. All these opportunities are listed on the wall outside, the, uh, outside in the lobby. Uh, around, where you'll see signs that say, and one. And we're challenging you to consider um, adding one thing to your life, and that might be to serve and invest in the lives of others. There's lots of opportunities. So on your way, after you drank all your coffee and you're heading to the bathrooms, just stop there and check out all the opportunities and uh, grab one of those, put your name on there, and drop it in the bucket. And one of our staff would love to talk with you about that this week. Well, I did not feel like getting out of bed, which was kind of unusual for me. It was Thursday this past week. I'm a morning person. How many people love the mornings? Let me see your hands. Oh, we love the mornings. We love being up, being out. You know, I usually am awake before my alarm. I'm looking forward to what my exercise routine is going to be, if it's a workout class, if it's a bike ride, if it's a run, but not this past Thursday morning. I... I did not get up until the alarm went off, and then I looked at the weather hoping it was raining because I was scheduled to do a run that day. No such luck. It wasn't raining. I looked at the national news to see if for some reason Trump had ordered we all had to stay in bed that morning, but no such, no such luck on that either, you know. Um, so I got up and started to get ready to go out for my run. I, 
um, <clears throat> I went into the bathroom and took an extra trip to the bathroom, hoping maybe something internally would keep me from going out on my run, but no such luck on that either, you know. So I uh, finally went outside, started running. My legs felt like I had bricks wrapped around them, and I was hoping it would start to rain, but no such luck. It was one of those mornings where my emotions were trying to take over my life. I just did not feel like doing what I was planning to do that day. I just wanted to stay in bed and felt sluggish, and um, my emotions were threatening to take over my life. And we've all had those experiences where our emotions threaten to take over our lives. When someone takes advantage of us or someone mistreats us, um, what emotion do we feel? We feel a little bit of what? Anger. We feel a little bit of anger, and we think, should I give this person a piece of my mind? Or some bad things happen and we feel sad or discouraged and we just want to hibernate and not be around anybody, just be by ourselves. Or we feel happy and excited and we're wondering how can I make someone else's day a little bit brighter. Uh, or maybe someone gives us a wink or is a track where it's drawn to them and we move towards them or we decide I shouldn't move towards that person. But we all know what these are, right? These are called what? Emojis. They reflect what? Our emotions. Our emotions. And while we say that there's the power of love, I think there's the power of more than just love. I think there's the power in our emotions because our emotions have the capacity to either drive our lives and control our lives like the engine of a train does or to be the caboose and push us or direct us in ways that we need to go. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has given you these emotions? Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe these emotions, instead of just something that either you don't ever experience or just torture your soul, are part of God at work leading you to Him? This morning we're going to start. Uh, we're going to continue in our series um, by talking about the subject of emotions. In our series is entitled "Never Forget, Never Forget." And it's based on the Book of Judges, and in the Book of Judges we're looking at a series of events that God records for us. And he says to His people, "I don't want you to forget these events. I don't want you to forget them, and I want you to learn from them." And so Jeremy introduced us to a character last week by the name of Samson, and we're going to follow up on his story over these next couple of weeks. And what I want us to not, what I want us to think about as it relates to emotions is that if you follow your emotions. If you're driven by your emotions, it's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. If you're driven by your emotions, it's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Judges, you can grab the Bible in front of you. and <clears throat> It's the sixth book in the Bible there, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit about the book of Judges. <clears throat> Excuse me. The book of Judges took place during the years of 1300 to 1000 B.C., so about a 300-year time span. During this time, the people of Israel, they had just come into the land that they were being given by God. It was called the Promised Land. It was the land of promise. And they came into this land. They crossed the Jordan River, which at that time was about a mile wide. Um, they crossed into the land on dry ground. Amazing miracle that God performed. They marched around the city of Jericho seven times uh, after doing this once a day for six days and then seven times on the last day. And the walls did what? They came crashing down. It actually happened. And then as they went and confronted enemy after enemy after enemy, it says that God fought for them. And this bunch of wandering nomads who had been in the wilderness for 40 years conquered and took over this land called the land of Israel. Well, when they moved in this land, they pledged their devotion to God. At the end of the book of Joshua, there's this phrase where Joshua says this, As for me and my whole house, 
We're going to serve God. And the people echoed, we will do the same. We will do the same. But it didn't last very long. It didn't last very long because soon as they moved into a new land, the smorgasbord of religions were appealing to them. You say, what do you mean the smorgasbord of religions? Well, in that, in that culture, in that day, as I talked about a few weeks ago, religion controlled everything. Everything flowed out of religion. The culture flowed out of religion. The politics flowed out of religion. The socioeconomic culture flowed out of religion. Everything flowed out of religion. And to experience what other nations had, to experience parts of other nations' culture, you had to experience their religion. And then you would experience those things. But that's not the way God wanted His people to function. You see, God says, I want to be the only one that's your God. He said in Deuteronomy 6, he said, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then later in the commandments, he said, you shall have how many other gods? No other God before me. You see, the people of Israel were a monotheistic culture, one God, monotheistic culture. But all the cultures around them were polytheistic, meaning they worshiped many gods. And the people of Israel, once they got into a place where there were many gods, thought, why not? Why not? And so in Judges chapter 10, verse 6, it says this, they served the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammonite, and the Philistines. They just took a little bit of everything, you know. They weren't the person that went to the smorgasbord and had all of one thing. They had a little bit of everything when it came to religion and it came to faith. Well, when this happened, they, got the, they found themselves in trouble. Um, and then they would call out to God, and they would say, rescue us, deliver us. And God would send a deliverer to them. And they were known as a judge. Not a judge like we would know who would declare justice between right and wrong, but almost like a superhero that would come in and save the day somehow. And last week, Jeremy introduced us to this character by the name of Samson. And this character has some similarities to someone who would come more than a thousand years later. This character, his birth was foretold by an angel. Same thing happened to someone a thousand years later. This character, before he was born, was told about these things that would happen in the life of this person. Same thing over a thousand years later. This character was told that he would rescue and deliver his people. Same thing over a thousand years later. The character over a thousand years later was someone by the name of Jesus. But the character we're going to talk about is a character by the name of Samson. One who was promised, foretold, who would be used by God, who would have a special vow, and God had set him apart for a purpose. Just to reconnect with the story from last time, look at, uh, oh, if you're not already there, I'm sorry. Judges 14 is where we're going to be at. Judges 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the rack or open it up on an app on your phone. Judges 14 is where we're going to begin. Page 202 is in the Bibles in your seats there. Um, But just turn back just a few, just look back a few verses. In Judges 13, it says this, the woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. And look at his what happened in his life. He said he grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Now I want you as a parent to think about um, having a child like this. I don't think there's a single parent in this room that doesn't have hopes and wishes for their children. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't wonder what they will be like and, and wonder what they will accomplish in this life and how can I help them and, and how can I provide opportunities for them to grow and develop and become the, the man or the woman that God wants designed them and wants them to be. Every parent wants that for their kid. But this, these parents were told by an angel 
They didn't have to just hope that this would happen. They were told by an angel, your kid is special. And they were told by an angel that God's going to use him in significant ways. And so I think about these parents and think about what they were, what was happening in their lives. I have to imagine that they were filled with an overwhelming sense of hopefulness at this point. It says the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. We don't quite know what that was. But God's Spirit, a part of the Godhead, was in this young guy and was stirring him up. And so you're like kind of on the edge of your seat thinking, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, the story continues in chapter 14. He went down to Timnah and he saw there a Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah now. Get her for me. Now notice he doesn't come home and say, hey, dad, mom, guess what? I met this girl. And she's really cute, and I really like her, and I'd like to spend some more time with her. Um, He says, I found the girl, and I want you to get her for me. Now, the telling him to get her for me is not that unusual because I lived in a culture of arranged marriages where the fathers would arrange the marriage between their children. So that was not that unusual. But twice in this passage, it highlights that she's a Philistine. He saw a Philistine woman. He said, I've seen a Philistine woman. You say, what's the big deal about that? Is it a racial issue or a tribal issue? No, what it exposes, it exposes the difference in religious belief systems. One of the gods that the Philistines had worshipped was the god of the Philistines. And we'll see more about him in the next couple weeks. But the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were in this covenant relationship with God where God said to them, I'm going to choose you from all the nations of the world. I'm going to choose you to be my people. And if you will follow me, I will provide for you and take care of you and meet your needs and bless you. And God said, one of the stipulations for this is not to marry someone from another nation, from another country. You say, why? What's the big deal? Well, God knew that by choosing to marry someone who had a different belief system, that it would turn their hearts eventually away from God. Because you see, the truth is, we all worship either God or ourselves. It's only two options. Everybody alive is a worshiper. You either worship the God of the heavens or you worship yourself. You're like, I don't... I don't worship myself. I really, I, you know, my kids are really important or my job. Or my, that, that's still all about you. It's all about you. And what God knew is God knew that as if you're in a relationship with someone who does not have the God of the heavens as the center of their lives, that over time that person's going to pull you and tug you and you're going to drift away from a relationship with him. You say, but John, my boyfriend's saying to me right now, well, I, I can worship the way I want, and you worship the way you want, and we'll be fine. I wish that was the case, but it won't be. It won't be. Because in time, things will fill up his life, or things will fill up her life. Things will become important to them, and important to her, and your attention will now be divided. And in life, when your attention gets divided, it tends to drift towards the relational side and away from God. You never drift towards God. Why did God make this such a big deal? Because he knew that in a marriage relationship, if both partners are not committed to God, that in time their hearts are going to drift. In time they're going to drift. And that's why 
I want us to think about this reality and sit with this, that if you follow your emotions, it's going to lead you a place you don't want to go. Likely a train wreck. Likely a train wreck. I say, John, that's a pretty strong statement. Why don't you think about it? If you follow your emotions, if you live by your emotions, if you are driven by your emotions, if your emotion is anger and you are driven by your emotions, you're going to wreck relationships. If you're driven by lust and desire, if you're driven by sex, it's going to wreck your world. If you're driven by your emotions, it's going to lead to a train wreck. And Samson's emotion says, I want her and I want her now. I want her and I want her now. And you can almost hear like a, like a high school guy saying, if I don't have this relationship, or a high school girl saying, if I don't have this relationship, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, you know. But I want to ask the adults in this room, how many of you have ever been in a relationship that was meaningful to you and it ended and you survived? Let me see your hands. How many of you? Okay, lots. Okay, I want all the students to look at all these hands up in the air. You know? You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You will survive. As meaningful as that relationship seems to you right now in the moment. But, but Samson kind of communicates that. You almost get this sense. His parents come to him and and uh, I kind of get the impression as I, as I read this story of Samson and his parents, and I don't really know this, I'm kind of speculating, but I kind of suspect that Samson, God said all these amazing things are going to happen to him, and I kind of get the impression that Samson was coddled a little bit, that Samson had everything given to him that he wanted. And you know what happens when you give a child everything that they want? Do they demand less or more? More. The parents all know. They're all saying more, right? They're all saying more. And so what does Samson do? Samson says, I want it. I want it. I want it. And look what his parents say. His parents say, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all the people? And I, I kind of hear the parents almost in this, past, in, this, um, in this story saying, come on, Samson. Can't you find a nice Israelite girl? You know, Why do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And you know what I don't hear his parents saying? I don't hear his parents offering wisdom into his, their son's life. I don't see that. I don't see that. Now, granted, this is a difficult place to be. And, and I want to speak to any of the parents who have uh, students or young adults living in your home. You know, when your son or daughter is moving into a relationship and you, um, in your parental wisdom and life experience, know it's bad for them, you know, you're caught between banning them and them hating you or giving in and you hating yourself and somewhere in the middle. But there's no words of wisdom that are spoken into this young man's life. There's no word that say, Samson, have you thought about this choice? Do you recognize the danger in this? Do you realize if you choose this path, this is where it will lead you? That's what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. He says, if you walk down this path, it will lead you here. I guarantee it. It will. If you walk down this path, it's going to lead you here. It doesn't tell your kid what to do. You should do this, you shouldn't do this, even though as parents we think that. But it gives them wisdom for life. And it says, no matter what, I'm going to be there with you. Even if I like your choice or hate your choice, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to love you. The relationship is more important than the rules or what I think is right. Even if I make a bad choice, I'm going to be there with you. And you get none of that 
from the parents. You just kind of get this cajoling, trying to convince him. Don't you think? Wouldn't it be nice? Have you considered this one? You know, pointing them out to her. But it didn't persuade Samson at all. Look what Samson said. Get her for me. She's the right one for me. She's the right one for me. And that phrase, <clears throat> that phrase stands out to me because in the book of Judges, there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. And the phrase that's repeated over and over again is everyone did, what's that word? What was what? Right in their own eyes. Every, not, not everyone did what God said or everyone did what the leadership said. Everyone did what was right in whose eyes? Their own eyes. And what did Samson say? She's the right one for me. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What did Samson do? The chosen one, the foretold one, the promised one. He did what he wanted to do. He followed his heart. He did what made him happy. What do we hear over and over about relationships? What does everybody say? Follow your what? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. That's the way our culture is lived. It's driven by our emotions. It's driven by our emotions. Now you say, but John, don't emotions play a part? They absolutely do. But if it's the engine that's driving every choice and decision in our lives, it's going to lead us to a place that we don't want to be at. And then in the midst of this story, God pulls back the curtain and gives a glimpse behind the scene. Because look what he says. The narrator tells us, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord. You're thinking, what about that story was from the Lord? You know, was it the disrespecting of his parents? Was it, you know, the wanting to marry a Philistine woman? What about that whole thing was from the Lord? Because I don't really get that. Because Samson didn't care what God said. Samson didn't want to live according to God's plan, but somehow God was working. That's pretty interesting. Samson had no desire to do what God wanted to do. But this points to a very important theological truth. And that truth is that God is always at work through everything. I'll say that again. God is always at work through everything. God is at work when evil happens. God is at work when sin is running rampant. God is at work through everything all the time. There's no chance. There's no luck. There's no crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. God is always at work through everything. And I say that because some of you are in situations with people in your life right now who are choosing evil or evil has been done to you. Some of you are in situations right now where sin is occurring and you are powerless to do anything. And you wonder, God, where are you? And do I quit on the person or do I quit on God? And God says, don't quit on either one. Because I'm at work somehow in the midst of all of this. And the story of Samson is a powerful illustration of that. And he tells us why. He was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines who at that time they were ruling over Israel. Israel was kind of happy with the current arrangement. He said, what do you mean, John? If you go back and read through the book of Judges, they would have, um, what would happen is they would start to worship these other gods and then the, they would start to follow these other leaders and the people would mistreat them and they would cry out to God for help. And God would send a judge. This happened over and over and over in, in Samson's story, they never cried out for help. 
They were happy with it. They were content with it. They merged with the culture. They merged with the foreign religions. And they were fine the way they were. And God was not fine with them being the way that they were. But he was at work doing something. So, what does Samson do? Samson decided to bring his mom and dad to meet the love of his life. So they went down to meet the love of his life. Somewhere along the way, they got separated. Samson wanders through the vineyards. Um, now, Samson has under this thing called a vow that was given to him before he was born by the angel that said he's not supposed to do three things. Uh, drink strong drink from the vine. Touch a dead animal. Cut his hair. It's called the Nazarite vow. In the Israelite faith, sometimes individuals would take that vow for a certain period of time. Six months, nine months, a year. Samson was for his whole life. He's the only one. He's the only one. Okay? So he wanders in the vineyard. Probably not a good place to be if you're not supposed to be drinking strong drink. And a lion shows up. It came roaring out towards him. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat, but he told neither his father or mother what he had done. Now this is very confusing. I know how to tear a piece of paper. I just did that. I do not know how to tear a young goat apart. Um, has anybody here torn a young goat apart? Frank, you ever torn a young goat? You used to raise goats, right? Never torn a young goat? I don't know how you tear a young goat apart. I really don't but he tore a lion apart, a little more powerful than a young goat, apart with his hands, his bare hands. So you immediately have this overwhelming sense, like this guy is either, you know, superhuman or got this strength that is beyond imagination. You can't even even fathom it, you know? It's like a metahuman, you know? It's what they would call him today in superhero language, you know? Um, Somehow, he did this. But then look at the next phrase. This is a little odd. He didn't tell his parents. He didn't tell his parents. You know, at my house, at the end of the day, you know, my son comes home from work, and uh, my wife and daughter come home from work, and Alicia's fiance, Mark, is usually there, and so everybody comes in. We're all kind of talking about the day. What happened in your day? What happened in your day? And what, you know, I imagine my son come in and say, hey, you won't believe what happened to me. What happened today, Daniel? He said, well, I got attacked by a lion, and I destroyed it, you know, and I said, oh, yeah, what was the, what was the kitty's name? Lion? You know, that's what I would say to him, you know. And I'd say, show me some pictures. I want to see some evidence. Did you get scratched up? No, none of that. None of that. He doesn't tell anybody. It's kind of odd. When, when do you not tell? Usually you don't tell something when you're trying to hide it. When you're trying to keep something hidden. Remember, he's not supposed to be around dead animal. That would, desec- that would violate his vow. And you'd have to go through a cleansing process. But where was he going? Remember, where was he going? To see who? His girl, right? That's where he was going. Nothing's getting in the way of that. Nothing's stopping him on that journey. So he heads down there and he talked with the woman and he liked her. This kind of seems out of order, doesn't it? I saw her. I'm going to marry her. Well, now maybe I should go and talk to her and decide if I even like her, you know? Usually you, you kind of meet and you talk and then you decide if you like and then you spend time. In, but that's, uh, Samson didn't do anything in the normal order. But anyways, he decided he liked her, which I suppose is a good thing if he's going to marry her. Um, so sometime later, he went back to marry her. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Another unusual situation. You say, what do you mean unusual situation? Well, what happens to... Um, a, a, a carcass 
of a dead animal that sits in the heat in the middle of the desert, what happens to that carcass? What does it do? It does what? It rots, right? It rots and decays, right? And then what insect do you usually find in rotting and decaying meat? What insect do you usually find? Maggots and flies, right? That's what you usually find. But somehow this completely skipped over that process and it's, I guess, bones, dried up bones, and he finds some bees and some honey in it. And so what does he do? He scoops out the honey with his hands and he ate it. Hey, it's here. I should eat it. It doesn't, not going to disregard my vow completely. By the way, mom and dad, you want some honey? I'm not telling you where it came from, but would you like some, you know? And once again, he doesn't tell his parents where he had taken the honey from. Another violation of his vow. His contact with a cadaver, his contact with this dead animal would have required him to go to the temple for cleansing to shave his body completely and, and go through a ceremonial washing in order for him to be pure and clean again. And so what have we discovered about Samson, about this guy? He's driven by his emotions. He demands his own way. He's disregarded his parental input, and he's deceitful in withholding information. Some of you are saying, that sounds like my middle schooler right now, you know, or my high schooler, you know. And, and that's really what he was like. It's really what he was like. And you know what's even more amazing in the midst of all of this? God is at work doing something. God is at work doing something. Well, what's God going to do? Let's go on to see what happens in the rest of the story. In Judges 14, or Judges verse 10, 14 verse 10, his father said, I should go meet my future daughter-in-law. So he goes down to see her, and Samson held a feast, as was customary for the young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. That's quite the bridal party. Now, I kind of like this arrangement where the guy is getting the girl, and so the guy pays for the whole thing, you know? In my house, there's lots of money being spent on wedding stuff, and the guy's not paying for any of it. Let me just tell you that, you know? You know, you know who's paying for all of it, you know? Um, but I wish I would have found this and adopted this, incorporated this. Maybe you can try, Frank, with all your daughters to try to get that to happen, save you a lot of money, those of you that have daughters. But uh, um, the guy paid for everything. Basically, they would have a marriage feast for seven days. And he, so he's going into a town where he's never been before. They say to this group of guys, you're going to be Samson's bridal party. You're going to hang out with him. You're going to be his guys during this time. So while Samson's with him, he said, hey guys, I've got a riddle for you. Let's put a little money on the line. You want to put a little money on the line? They're like, yeah, sure, why not? So he says, all right, I'll give you the riddle. And if you figure out the riddle, I got to buy a new set of duds for all of you. New set of new outfit for everybody. But if I tell you the riddle and you can't figure it out, every single one of you has to give up one to me. And I'm going home with a heck of a new wardrobe. And so these guys are like, there's no way. We're going to figure this out. Who does he think he is? You know? So um, that's, that's the deal. And this was the riddle. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not find the answer. They Googled it. They asked everyone they know. They watched old episodes of Jeopardy. They could not find the answer to this riddle. And they were starting to get a little ticked off about it. And so what did they do? They go to the fiance and they said to Samson's wife, hey, how about we make a deal? We'll trade you this. If you get this information, we'll give you this. And they kind of sweeten the deal a little bit. No, that's not what they do. They basically said, get your husband to tell us the answer or we're going to kill you. 
and we're going to kill your whole family. You read that statement, you realize these were brutal people. This is not Mayberry, you know. I mean, this is a a warring tribe that was um, out to defeat other tribes and basically kill and conquer and grow. That's all they did. That's their reason for existence. And they said, we're not going to give this up easily, so if you don't get this from us, we're wiping everybody out. We're wiping them all out. Um, Who do you think we are? Just invite us here to steal from us? Or you think we're fools? So then what is Samson's... Notice she's already his wife. They're not married yet, but the text describes him already as his wife. He threw himself on her. You hate me. You don't really love me. You know, if you loved me, you would tell me what the answer to this riddle was. Um, He says, why are you doing this to me? I haven't even told my parents. They don't even know what's going on. And so she turns the drama on full tilt and she wails for seven days straight. Um, Now the guys are thinking, seven days straight? Ten minutes, ten seconds is too long. And the women are like, I know there, I've been there. I know what that's like, you know. But this is what happens. She just won't shut it off. Non-stop, non-stop. The text did not include, but I'll include nagging and whining and nagging and whining and whining and nagging. For seven days straight, this goes on, this goes on. Finally, he gives in. Eventually, she wears him down, which almost always happens, and he gives in, or she gives in. She tells the 30 guys, and so you can almost see the stage set because the time is ticking, the time is up. Samson's coming. He's expecting that they're not going to have figured this out, and he's getting a whole new set of ward, a whole new wardrobe to take home. The guy's coming knowing that they've got this figured out. And as they show up, they come sauntering in to Samson with a big grin on their face. And they say it in the form of a riddle. They say, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And just picture Samson's face. Because he knows at that moment, he's told no one but her. And he has been what? Betrayed. He's been betrayed. And his face drops. The anger fills his spirit. And then... He opens his mouth, which you should never do when you're angry. And he says, if you had not piled with my heifer, which you should never say that about your fiance. I don't care what culture you live in or what time era it is. You should never say that. So when you get very angry, things come out of your mouth that you should not say. He said, you would not have solved the riddle. Um, But then look what Samson goes on to do. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Again, baffling. He goes out in a fit of ballistic rage, kills 30 guys, strips them buck naked, takes their clothes back and gives them to these guys. And tells us at the end there that he was burning with anger. He was burning with anger. Angry at her. Angry at them angry at anybody in his path. And once again, God's Spirit shows up in the midst of all of this craziness. And you're left scratching your head saying, the Spirit of the Lord came on him so he could do this to do... What? I don't get this. doesn't make any sense. The only time God shows up in this story... In this whole chapter, 
is when God's Spirit came upon this man. The only time, the only time. Samson is a guy who's driven by his desire, his lust, his eroticism, his own selfish appetites. He's disrespectful to his parents. He disregards his Nazarite vow. He's disloyal to his family. He's rude to his future wife. He's arrogant. And he's filled with rage. He's filled with rage. And the narrator sets us up for next week by telling us this. His wife was given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast. So you can imagine next week is not going to be a pretty sight. Samson is a picture of people who've set God on the shelf and who've merged God with all these other things. And God's not really at the center anymore. God's just on the outskirts. And I'm just living based on what I want, what I feel like, what I need, what I desire in the moment. And Samson is a picture we're going to see later this summer of the whole nation of Israel. And God says, I want to give you a picture of a leader in this community where God's not on the radar. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. The Israelite people were chosen by God, were called to be His very own, were set aside to do something unique and distinct, but they only chose to pursue their own ways. In spite of all of this, God is still at work behind the scenes, stirring the pot, never missing a single opportunity to somehow work to accomplish His plan and His ways. The danger is when you follow your emotions, you will end up with a train wreck. And while this week we can slowly start to see the train kind of coming off the tracks next week, it's going to get even worse. If I live by my emotions, if I only follow my emotions, they're going to lead me to disaster. You say, John, what what do I do? What's the alternate? What's the alternate? Well, your emotions are given to you by God and they're there for a reason. Um, the emotions, your emotions are like the dashboard lights on your car. Um, you have dashboard lights that come on your car for a reason. I found this chart. It might be helpful for some of you. You know, if you have a red dashboard light that shows up, that means you should stop right away. Okay. ASAP. You shouldn't go any further and call for help. If you have a yellow one, that means you're going to need to get some help and get some things looked at. Sorry. It's a little small to see out there. Um, things with your brakes, or your tire pressure or things like that. If it's green, it means you can go. It means you're good. But your dash lights always tell you something. They always tell you something. They're not meant to be ignored. Don't ignore your dashboard lights. In the same way, your emotions are not meant to be ignored. They are like your dashboard lights. So when you experience tears, they tell you something. They tell you something. And you've got to sort that out. This past week, or this past weekend, I happened to be just doing a little surfing, and I, uh, and, and I came across the Undercover, Undercover Boss show. And uh, I don't know what it is about that show, but man, I watch that show, and I get all choked up, and I still haven't sorted that out. But your tears tell you something, you know? It wasn't just because Gabby Douglas was some old grandmother on the show and trying to help, you know, athletes. It wasn't just because of that, you know? They were telling me something that I haven't quite figured out yet. You know, when you feel anger... It tells you something, especially when your anger is mismatched. You say, what do you mean when it's mismatched? When it's a little thing and you get this angry, there's a problem. Your anger is telling you something. Or when it's this big and you say, oh, it's no big deal, and everybody else is like, you know, it's telling you something. 
You know, when you feel sadness, it's telling you something. When you feel envy or jealousy, it's telling you something. When you feel joy, it's telling you something. And I believe what all these emotions do is God has given us these emotions not to drive our life, but to drive us towards Him. Because the truth is, if we are made in God's image, then these all come from Him. You say, well, John, I don't have, I don't have emotion. Well, yeah, you do. You do, because you're made in God's image. You do. You've just had them suppressed. You've just had them deadbolted shut. So they don't come out, but they leak out. Guarantee you they do. That anger leaks out when you don't want it to leak out. That sadness leaks out when you don't want it to leak out. And when you want to feel compassion, you can't access it because you've tamped it all down and suppressed it all down. You say, what do I do if I don't feel sense many emotions? I think you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go on a journey to discover that? You guys have heard some of my story. That's my story. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything for much of my life. And I came to realize that that's not who God made me to be. God made me in His image, which means these are part of Him in me that need to be identified and expressed appropriately. And while it might be scary, for me it was one of the most incredible freeing things God ever did in my life. But maybe for you, the emotions come up and you don't know what to do with them. Especially as parents. You know, don't be sad. Stop crying. Can't be angry. I mean, how many of us have been told that? How many of us have said that? Because we don't know what to do with the image of God. In us. And the story of Samson is a story where those emotions are unlocked and running free. But God longs for something more for us. He wants us to be aware of them and He wants us to express them as a representation of Him in us. And so my challenge for you this week is I want you to pay attention to where they show up. Instead of reacting to your emotions when they show up, ask God where He is in the midst of all of this. And when you're in a setting where it seems like emotion would be appropriate and it doesn't show up for you, ask God why and explore what's going on in that part of your journey and that part of your life. Because it's part of who God has made us to be. It's part of how we express the character of God in the relationships that He's blessed us with that we walk into every single day of our lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we close and just give you a moment to just be honest and talk to God about where you're at today. Um, For some of you, emotions may be something that you've been pretty afraid of and have been locked down in your life. And and so you've got to decide if you're going to have the courage to unlock that door. And ask God to help you with it. For some of you, the emotions come out and you never know when or where and they never seem to match. And and, uh, 
You do your best to swallow them, but it just doesn't seem to be right. And you have to ask God to help you learn about them and walk with Him in them. And For some of you, emotions have taken over your life and they just rule you. But that's not, who you, that's not all that God has made you to be. He's given you a heart and He's given you a mind. He's given you a will. It's just one part. God, you know each one of our stories today. And the story of Samson is a story of a guy who uh, just ran through life completely driven by his emotions. And God, help us not to fear our emotions, but to help them, help us see them as a gift from you, as part of your image in us, and that they can point us towards you and not drive our lives. God, we need your help to walk into and face this and as we look at this story, as we walk through our lives this next week, help us to be attentive to ways that you want to show up through this. In your name, amen. For some of you, you've experienced, like Samson, emotions taken over your life. And they led to wreck relationships, broken intimacy, addiction, children being born, jobs being lost, and you're fully aware. And as you watch this guy, Samson, it feels a bit like your story. The truth about the story of Samson is there's a little bit of Samson in every single one of us, as much as we don't like to admit it. Um, but as part of that story is recognizing God's in it as well. God's in it when we make a mess of our lives. God's in it when it feels like we've thrown our lives away and we don't know if they'll be recovered. God's in it in your struggle that no one knows about, that's your secret struggle. God's in it in your pain. And God's in it when you live with the consequences. And as you listen to this song, it's my prayer that you will understand and just get a glimpse of how He wants to transform your life into something radical, something amazing, something beautiful.